everybody, and welcome to Podcast by Committee, Episode 2. Uh, today we're going to be talking the Oakland Raiders with Vic Tafer, uh, our Oakland, well, our, our Bay Area uh, writer, who focuses on the Oakland Raiders, obviously, and uh, host of the State of the Nation podcast with Jimmy Durkin. Vic, thanks a lot, man. Hey, man, no problem. It seems like the more you dig into the Oakland Raiders, the more interesting they get. And just like one question leads to another, leads to another, and they're just a billion follow-ups. So <laughs> I hope you're ready. <laughs> Yeah, they've always been interesting, even when they were, they've were they been losing for a while now. They had one good year a few years back, but they've always had storylines, always have a, had fascinating characters. This year is no different with uh, with Gruden and Brown and Incognito, so should be a fun training camp. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is pretty cool, too, because you're you're not just like a fantasy guy. You play in the NFFC and NFBC, like you're a very serious, you're like one of us, so you speak our language. <laughs> I dabble. Yeah, no, I definitely speak the language. I definitely can uh, respect uh, fellow fantasy players. I understand the need for information and the urgency to get stuff and, uh, you know, the quest for sleepers, all that stuff. So I get it. I get what people are looking at, uh, at my, my Twitter feed for uh, for some hints. Yeah, uh, so let's start. So I know, like, Josh Jacobs and Antonio Brown are, like, the big stories, but I kind of want to start with Derek Carr. Um, to me, he's, he's one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the league, and it actually stems from um, – from something you did last year with Jimmy on the podcast, where where Carr talked about all his notebooks, and he went off. So he's got a book for every off season. I'm just going to run through this really quickly. Um, you know, he has he's a book for OTAs. He has a book for every training camp and a book on every team he's ever played and every defensive coordinator. And his quote was, "So I can go back four years and say, oh, I played so and so four years ago. Let me go get that book." And he says he has them all at his house. Uh, like, first of all, like, is this does this change your view? I mean, when you learn this, did it change? Like, oh. This is a cerebral guy who kind of maybe should be better than he actually is. Like, or is this just kind of like a throwaway detail about Derek Carr? No, I, th- I think it's cool. I wasn't too surprised because I knew his you know his backstory. He's been watching game film since he was like five years old. His brother, his brother David, would come home from you know the Texans games and they break down film together. And even in high school, I mean, I think Derek had a very advanced you know sense of uh, where things should be in offense and what receivers should be doing and what the offensive line should be doing. So he's always been very cerebral, like you said. He has a big time arm. He's a good kid. You know, he's just a sit- year six now. I could keep calling him a kid, but he has everything you want in, a, in you know in a quarterback. Everything everything's there to be an elite guy. And it was close in 2016. I think it was, what, third or fourth in the MVP voting in a big year. Unfortunately, got hurt and missed the playoff game. Has regressed since then, had a lot of coaching changes. So I think uh, everyone says it. It's not uh, it's not a creative storyline, but this is a big year for Derek Carr. This is kind of a, a prove-it year. I think you know, he has to, like, solidify that he's John Gruden's guy going forward. What's, what's your feeling on how that's going to play out? I mean, is was was 27, like, an aberration? I mean, can he go back to these levels? He, I'm sorry, was 2018 an aberration, or is this is this kind of like, like I know we're all kind of in the same spot where like he's got to do this, but is your feeling that like you know with Antonio Brown there and you know the John Gruden offense, can he do this? I think definitely can. I mean, last year was tough. I mean, last year he came into a new offense, and everyone said that wasn't a big deal. He and Gruden were on the same page, and that may have been true. But then you trade away or lose all your receivers, O line. They brought in two rookie tackles, didn't quite. Get the job done and got hurt. A lot of injury problems on that line last year. He sacked like 50, I think it was 52 times last year and didn't, didn't have much of a pocket presence because he's always running for his life. So I think last year is hard to really evaluate him too toughly. But obviously he wasn't the guy you look at as being, you know, a franchise quarterback last year. Is he someone that, I mean, in, in NFFC ADP right now, he's 23rd. Um, is he someone wow. you might look at? Well, actually, are you, are you a, a one quarterback guy? Are you two quarterback guy? How do you, how do, you do your quarterback drafting? 
Yeah, I usually get two. I like to get two. But I think 23rd to me sounds low. I mean, I've always, in my mind at least, always having that 15 to 20 range. I think that's a good range for him. I think, um, and this year, Antonio Brown, I mean, John Goon's going to want to give that guy a lot of targets. I mean, he's very excited to have him. You know, the trade and, and giving him more money definitely spotlights on John as far as another free agent move that may, a trade that may have gone wrong. So I think he wants to prove it was the right move to get Antonio Brown. I think he's going to get, you know, just a, I was going to curse, but like a, a blank ton of, uh, of of targets this year. So I just think uh, I think everything's there for Carr to have his best year. Kind of a follow up to this was was last year. I remember um, maybe uh, it might have been a, a, a Jimmy Durkin article. I don't think it was yours, but uh, point is it was in the Athletic, and uh, it was talking about how Amari Cooper had some of the best separation in the league. And actually, in Week One last year, I think it was Cooper and, and Jordy Nelson were like top ten in the separation on the next gen stats. Um, and it was kind of a recurring theme. I checked that every week after I read that. And I'm like, you know, Amari Cooper's getting a lot of separation. He's just not putting up the numbers. Then he went to Dallas and, you know, maybe he was getting the same separation, just catching the balls or they were being thrown more on target. But, um, does, I mean, is there going to be an issue maybe if, if Antonio Brown's getting the separation and, uh, and he's not getting the numbers or, or was it maybe Antonio Brown is just so much better than Cooper? Like he could, he could Odell Beckham, Eli, Eli Manning style, Derek Carr, and get him the numbers because he's so good. Right. I mean, some of those stats last year, and I know stats are great. Everyone loves to look at these you know, analytics and break it down to the, the nth level. But that, that stat last year with Jordan Nelson and separation, I mean, my, my eye test didn't see that. My eye test didn't see Jordy getting open off the break. I think Jordy, uh, obviously, as the year went on, kind of lost his legs and got, you know, got tired and you know, he retired. But uh, I just think that um, some of those stats are a little skewed. I'm not sure Mark Cooper – had you know, a, a great uh, separation even before he left. I think with those two, I mean, they had they had some huge games, Derek and Amari Cooper, and uh, obviously for whatever reason didn't quite click. I mean, uh, separation was probably good for them, but I think there were some big games. I think there was a game last year, which I thought was a turning point for their relationship, I guess, was that game against the Dolphins, where Derek, you know, coming into a new system and Gruden, and, and Gruden wants you to take some chances, but he also really stresses checking the ball down, don't turn the ball over. John would much rather see a, you know incomplete pass and an interception down the field. So he's always trying to tell Derek to play safe, don't take chances. But at the same time, you know, use your head and improvise when you have to and, and give a guy a chance to make a play. So it was a, it was a, a play against the Dolphins. It was late in the game, I believe. They were coming back. And Carr bought some time. He ran around. And he threw a really, really, really deep ball to Cooper, who was kind of um, – when the, when Carr threw the ball, he wasn't necessarily open, but where he threw the ball gave a chance for Amari to run under it. And Amari kind of gave up on the play, and I think the play looked bad in hindsight, but if Amari had kept running, it might have been a huge play. So I think that was the key, in my mind, the play where they're like, whatever was happening already as far as you know them kind of not being on the same page, and then it got worse after that play. Is Carr, would you, would you term him a sleeper this year? Yeah, if he's 23rd ADP and you're thinking of him in the 15 range, you have to, right? Yeah, if I think Antonio Brown's going to have a big year, and I think Josh Jacobs is going to catch a lot of balls this year, and that's his skill set. I think he's going to use him a lot. They're going to wind up, you know, wind him up uh, wide sometimes in the slot. They're going to move around Josh a lot. So I think if he's going to catch, you know, 60 passes, Antonio Brown's going to have a huge year. I think Darren Waller is a great sleeper at tight end. No one's, I mean, he's going to be a guy, I'm sure HBO hard knocks will be all over his story, but he's a guy who had some problems in Baltimore, had some drug issues. But just you look at him, he's. He's what you want, and you know, in terms of his body type and his skill set, in terms of a catching, receiving tight end. Jared Cook had a career year last year in, in this offense, so I think Darren Waller could be a good sleeper. So if those three guys right there on this offense are going to have pretty good years, then the guy throwing them the ball should also have a pretty good year. 
Is Carr the kind of guy on a week-to-week basis could maybe have some 300-yard games and multiple, t- like, three touchdowns? Or, or is this going to be just a, like, almost like a steady 280-yard build every game and he won't do as many of those 190-yard games? Like, is he break in big gamey? Yeah, he, he had some big games in 2016. I think that's that's definitely there. My concern would be, I don't want to go, like, you say, get Derek Carr in the, I mean, your top 10 quarterbacks. I think John Green's going to want to run the ball. He definitely has the conservative side to him. I think you're going to see a lot of... Uh, uh, of uh, kind of knock him, sock him games a little bit more so than wide open games. But uh, I definitely think Carl will have a handful of big games this year. All right. So kind of related to all this um, is Tyrell Williams, who you know, fantasy players have known about him for a while. You know, Mike Williams gets injured. Oh, it's going to be the Tyrell Williams show. And it, it never actually was. Um, and there's been a big deal. You know, the Raiders spent a lot of money on him to bring him in. You know, they're expecting big things. How, how easy do you think it'll be? And I, I guess you you haven't seen a ton of him yet. But um, clicking with with Derek Carr and, and learning the system and all that, is this going to be kind of an easy thing? Should we lower expectations, or is he due for you know all the attention is going to be on Antonio Brown? He's gonna he's gonna catch a lot of passes. This is like an eight target guy. Yeah, to me, he's he's a fascinating case because I don't know what to make of Terrell. I know I know the skill set, and I know um, he had some big moments in, in in San Diego, L.A. with the Chargers, but. I know they targeted him early on in free agency, and once once they signed, once they got Antonio Brown and gave him the, the money, I figured that they were going to get you know, Williams because it cost too much to be a number two guy. But well, they did, and they paid him pretty well, and now he has a pretty good role in this offense. So, for whatever reason, I thought he didn't really break through with, with the Chargers, and, and they didn't really want him back. So, that, to me, that's a bad sign. So, I get the skill set. I get what the goals are. He's going to be the deep threat, kind of keep uh, defenses honest with Antonio Brown. But I'm not, I'm not quite positive that he's going to have the impact that people think he is going to have. Is this going to be a, a – sorry, I'm skipping around on these questions. But is, is Hunter Renfro – you know, we had Josh Jacobs with the Fantasy Sports Gaming Association uh, uh, conference. Matthew Berry interviewed him and asked him a bunch of questions about, you know, what to expect on Josh Jacobs' year. And then he asked him for a sleeper and he said, you know, man, Hunter Renfro is, uh, is going to surprise a lot of people. And you mentioned him, too, um, in, in the roundtable that we had, that Maurice Jones-Drew actually had him going for 80 catches in the slot this season. 80 catches, yeah. I give my guy Maurice a shout-out. So, I mean, uh, they like him. I mean, definitely, I think they draft him with, you know, kind of a question mark in their minds. Like, they know what the, what the tape said in the college, but he always question marks about a guy that size. He's very small, not the fastest guy in the world. But as, you know, the, the workouts in the offseason went on and minicamp went, went on, he kept getting open, he kept making plays, kept getting – getting the ball. So I think that's a good sign. I think he definitely, uh, the coaches definitely think highly of him. They definitely are more enthusiastic about him. And they always were, I'm just saying, but I think there was more question mark when they draft him as part of now that like, there's actually some genuine hope, like this guy could actually be the guy he was in college. So it's going to be a fascinating case in training camp, him against uh, Ryan Grant for that slot uh, position role. So, I mean, I don't know about 80 catches, but uh, whatever, if you're going to roll the dice in, in a late round, you know, fantasy pick, he could be your guy. Is a slot? I mean, are, you're a fantasy guy. Like, are you getting kind of sick of the slot thing? Like every <laughs> every player, like everything. Oh, he's going to be in the slots. So he's going to be awesome this year. Like that analysis is hitting every single player who's in the slot. And I just think at some point, like this is like I think the defenses understand there's a slot receiver here at some point, right? Like not every slot receiver is going to be amazing. Right. I guess it is because a lot of these quarterbacks are told to check the ball down. They're told, to like, you know, McGruden isn't the only guy telling the quarterbacks to play it safe and don't turn the ball over. So I think that temptation to find the guy, you know, that second or third option on, on your route, it could be the slot guy, and it's a safe seven you know, yards, whatever. He breaks a tackle, and you got a good chunk of play. So I get why people are, are fascinated by the slot. And Hunt for, obviously, Renfro made some great plays in college. So um, you're right, though. I mean, it's a slot's kind of the, the new sexy thing in, in fantasy, and PPR is all the rage. So. 
I think that people can overstate it, but you know, at the same time, they're looking for people to to hit on late in the fantasy draft. And uh, you know, if not Renfro, then maybe Ryan Grant. If Ryan Grant beats him out, Ryan Grant could be that guy who could be a nice sleeper late, you know, in your in your draft. So I just think that um, you know, in an offense where you know Tony Brown's going to get a lot of the focus, and maybe he'd be a big double cover at times, and Derek has to get rid of the ball, he might be dumping it off to you know to a Renfro or to a to Ryan Grant. I remember you probably do too, Ryan Grant, like a, five years ago. I noticed it, like in, in, I think one of the columns you wrote, you like labeled him a veteran. I'm like, how is this guy a veteran already, man? Like he was, he was this young up and comer on Washington, like five years ago, supposed to be the next big thing. Um, and no, that didn't really pan out for any of the Washington receivers. But uh, I just remember Ryan Grant as the guy who was like almost there, like every year was like almost that guy, and then just kind of get getting derailed. Plus, he was almost rich. Remember, he had that big deal with the Ravens, and then uh, when the Raiders wound up cutting Crabtree, all of a sudden the uh, Ravens went back. Oh wait, we think uh, you know Ryan Grant. Uh, he's hurt. Actually, we can't sign him. We're going <laughs> yeah. to get, get Crabtree instead. And Ryan Grant lost a lot of money on that couple of days of uh, activity around the league. So I think it. Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't have a great year last year, but you know, I can see why the coaches think he's interesting. He definitely can get open at times. He's got some wiggle to him. So. Uh, yeah, it's a good sleeper. You know, the guy no one's really talking about. You know, Renfro's the guy everyone's uh, excited about. But Ryan Grant's right, right there. So Ryan Grant can definitely have a role in this offense. Is there a chance that we see like slot by committee, or is, is one guy going to beat out the other guy? Oh, definitely. No, you can definitely see committee. My only problem with the committee thing is that uh, both those guys don't really play special teams. And I think to be that fourth or fifth receiver on an NFL roster these days, you got to play you know teams coverage or teams return. I'm not sure you can keep two smaller slot guys. If that's the case, neither one really plays on teams. To me, that would be hard, hard sell for the uh, for Rich Passaccia. How do you, how do you do when you're when you're watching this and you're kind of trying to assess, you know, who's going to win? And you know, there's all this, there's all the coach speak. You don't know what to believe, what not to believe. Is it just the eye test? Are, are you looking for certain things like, you know, do the drops not matter if the routes are looking good, or, or you know, does the body language tell something, or when they're playing? Like when you when you're sitting there just watching it, uh, how, how do you kind of assess who's in the lead there? Yeah, I think body language is a good part. I think you look at, uh, at things they can do in practice and just kind of the you know, the confidence that you see the quarterback has in the receiver. I just in talking to the guys, you can kind of get a sense of, of what each guy's thinking. So I just think it's, it's, it's a lot of feel to it. You can't really – like you said, coaches lie. Coaches tell you one thing and the exact opposite is the truth sometimes. So you got to kind of just you know, use your gut and follow your instincts and you can kind of figure it out. All right, I guess we can get, we can get to Antonio Brown now. I, like, I don't think there's much you can actually say about him in the context of the Raiders. But maybe is the greater, you know, uh, fantasy world um, is Antonio Brown. I mean, we look at it. Michael Salfino wrote this great piece about how he's John Gruden loves these older receivers and he's turned these these great seasons from guys who are thirty years and older. Do you still see Antonio Brown as like a top three, top two? Uh, is this going to be like? Could he have a shot at being the number one receiver in fantasy again? I definitely could. I think he's definitely top. I mean, I haven't really broken it down top three, top five, but he's an elite guy. And you mentioned the old thing, and you watch him, you know, in, in minicamp. He's not old. I mean, he's. In, I mean, you watch the. You know, I was on social media. He's working out every day. He's working out in Paris. He's throwing bricks around. He's doing all kinds of weird little exercises with his with his team. But he's in phenomenal shape. And you watch him in practice. I mean, he's killing people. I mean, and it's not. I mean, the Raiders DBs aren't the best in the world, but I'm sure yeah, most receivers beat their guys in practice. But he's he's getting open by by yards, and he's not even close to getting covered in practice. Just he's always working. He's got his like uh, measuring his heart rate. He's like has a log about what he's doing every day. He's just a fanatic about his fitness and about getting his work and steps in every day and what he wants to accomplish at practice. So, um, just a uh, I mean, 
I very rarely get blown away in mini camps and these offseason things because it's all just you know it's all just guys in shorts and, you know, and t-shirts running around. But I remember when I first uh, Carson Palmer's first day. I mean, when he started throwing the ball around, you're like, whoa, that's you know that guy. Yeah, that guy has a gun. You just the, the, the ball sound definitely come out of his hands. Just kind of he, he looked like a big time quarterback was supposed to look like. And I remember Antonio Brown this year had a similar reaction when I was like, wow, that guy's that guy's incredible. And that guy, you see right away why he is what he is. That's all. Is this is this the chip? Is the storyline going to be chip on his shoulder, or is he? Is that not it? Right. Uh, I think about him today. It's going to going to file. I think around the afternoon, my post tonight in the morning. But my angle is going to be that um, there really is no chip on his shoulder. That's not the guy he is. I mean, everyone thinks he has something to prove about you know Pittsburgh and Big Ben and stuff. But the way he works, the way he goes at it, and just a fanatical approach. Since he was you know a six round draft pick and. I mean, he just wants to be the best. He wants to be in the best shape he can be. He just wants to have fun playing ball, and this is this is the way he does. I mean, he has his wife and his kids, but I mean, football—that's that, you know that and, and and showing off the bling on, on social media. That's what that's what he does. And I just think he uh, he wants to be the best. He always has wanted to be the best. And I think he just has fun doing it. He has fun. He enjoys you know, pushing his body to a ridiculous limit. I just think um, I don't think he really cares about. I mean, I think he wanted clearly he wanted to get out of Pittsburgh. He had that. Had run its course. He and Big Ben, he had to get out of there, and that was something he did with where his interviews and some of his things, which didn't look great. But he got out, so now he's got you know a fresh start. The quarterback who wants to prove himself also, and they've been bonding all off season. So I just think there's no chip on the shoulder. I just think that's just Antonio Brown, just the way he is. Just um, his approach to the game, his approach to working out, is always going to be the same. We're not even the running backs yet, and that's another like so. Um, you know, give me a second before we go to running backs. I want to talk about the line because Richie Incognito, and I, this is in the context of uh, read a, the Hard Knocks uh, story that you wrote uh, about. Like, it, I think you ranked or even like listed the guys who are going to be interesting to watch. But the Richie Incognito storyline is pretty awesome, and uh, I mean, people overlook the fact that he's you know all the off field stuff or whatever, but he's still really good. And I mean, you got Richie Incognito. You brought in Trent Brown. Um, like, what's this? What's this going to do for for that? for that line. I mean, everyone's assuming that, you know, Josh Jacobs is going to be really good. Antonio Brown's going to be really good. Derek Carr could have a you know Renaissance season. How much of that goes into the additions to the line and how good that line is going to be? Yeah. I mean, when they were looking to sign with Shane Kirk and either talking to the league and doing some research about what the suspension would be kind of measuring, you know, if it was worth all, all that stuff, you know, his track record and his off field problems are well documented. He definitely, uh, that's a lot of issues. So he came in for the workout and it was like, it was Tom Cable, Greg Olson, John Gruden, Mike Mayock, there's four of them there. And they had this plan for this long, you know, half hour workout to see where he was, run through some stuff, you know. The workout lasted five minutes because uh, the guy was just in such phenomenal shape. He just like did uh, the things he did in five minutes, his explosiveness, just the, just the power and just the, they saw the player he was a couple of years ago and he made the Pro Bowl. Like, you know what? Yeah, we're done. And they just said that stop. There's no reason to go longer than five minutes. He was in you know, that good of shape. And again, you mentioned he's still a very, very good player. I mean, he didn't play last year, but he was an elite guard two years ago. And that's why they signed him. They got him in a veteran's minimum. There's, there's obviously baggage. But to me, in the NFL these days, it's been proven around the league. Baggage is kind of, I mean, it's, it's kind of worthless. I mean, if, if you sign a guy with baggage, you say all the right things. If it doesn't work out, you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, hey, we'll, we'll move on. So it's not, it's not really, for me, it's not really a real lasting damage to pick up a guy, you know, who's a, a risk that doesn't work out. To me, there's a very low risk, even if guys are, are, are high risk. Uh, we got a question from, uh, from Bill Krause on Twitter. We, we put it out when we said we're doing the show. Um, how many times will Trent Brown and Colton Miller switch sides over the course of the season? 
I don't think. I, I mean, the plan is never. The plan is that they uh, they want Colton Miller to keep developing as a left tackle. That's why they haven't moved him yet. And I think um, unless things go really, really wrong, I don't think the, they'll move. I think, um, and part of that problem, part of the, the reason is that Colton switched sides in, at UCLA. It didn't go well, and he's he's said uh, repeatedly that he had a hard time changing sides. Now I was in college, so imagine you know the, the next level of the NFL and Trent Brown was a pretty dominant right tackle a few years back. So they think it, in today's NFL with pass rushers of you know on each side who are really damaging guys, it's important to have you know big, really good tackles on each side. It doesn't really matter if left or right side. So I think their plan right now is you know obviously their plan is Trent Brown on the right side, and I think it's not going to change unless Colton really. Doesn't do well. I, I, I think Colton's going to be fine. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. I'm not sure he's going to be an elite left tackle at any point, but I don't think there's any reason why he can't be a very good one. All right, on to the uh, onto the running backs then. And really, it's onto the running back, I guess. It's it's Josh Jacobs everyone's talking about, and the high pick was used on him. Uh, some of his comments at the FSGA conference and, and just what he said overall, uh, you know, he's going to be the bell cow. They're just going to feed him the ball. And I know there's been some worry that, you know, in college he didn't get that full complement of, of runs. Um, a like I mean, is is this this is fact? Like I've read you say it, like that he's going to be the guy. Uh, but is is there any worry that maybe he's not used to this kind of large amount of work? I don't think so. I mean, if anything, it should be fresh. I think um, you know, John Gruden, the way he used Cadillac Williams when he drafted him way back when with the Buccaneers, similar kind of deal. I mean, he, he ran Cadillac, you know, almost into the ground. I, I mean, obviously, he probably won't do that again with, with Josh, but the plan, he's always said, you know, he, before, even going back to last year's uh, NFL owners meetings, we talked to him at breakfast, he really wanted a three down back, and he saw one in Josh Jacobs. I think um, Doug Martin, he likes Doug Martin. He's a nice insurance guy, and Jalen Richard is a nice PPR guy. I can catch the ball, but I mean, if things go according to plan. Those guys aren't going to really, you know, get in too much of Josh's way. Josh will be the main guy. I don't know if you play any best balls, but at, at the very end of some of these thirty-round NFBCs, uh, the NFBC twenty-fives, I mean, like Chris Warren is just sitting there, and like I know it's probably because of his dad, and I know the name, and I have this idea of the old Chris Warren, but it just seems like, especially with Crowell out. Um, and, you know, Doug Martin just kind of taking on like this mentoring role um, that maybe Chris Warren could, could at some point, maybe it's week 10, maybe it's week 11 or whatever, uh, you know, have a role. Is that is there a shot of that at all or is that a wasted pick? That's a small shot. The thing about I mean, the thing and it's even more frustrating for some Raider fans because I only probably didn't watch any Raiders preseason games last year, but Chris Warren was dominant. I mean, Chris Warren was killing people. He was trucking people, breaking tackles, running through guys. Just looked like he was the man. I think people were surprised to make the roster last year. They stashed him on injury reserve. And from what, I, from what I'm hearing, that might be the plan again this year. I think there's um, – he, he kind of has some weight fluctuations in the offseason. I think he's back under control now. He's always been a really big guy. I think the coaches don't um, 100% trust him. I think they, they like him, and they, they obviously saw the flashes last year in the preseason. But I think there's not um, total trust yet as far as you know the packages and, and always being accountable and in shape. So I think there's still a question mark there. I think you, the other guy in the mix is DeAndre Washington. They, they like him. Mean, he didn't have any role last year, but – also has a skill set similar to Jalen Richards, and I, th- I think in my mind is NFL running back, so I think it's another guy in Chris's way. You know, I just want to go off something you said. Uh, you said they don't they don't fully trust him. Um, is this the kind of coaching staff, and it doesn't really have to do with Warren? It's kind of I guess more a Jacobs thing, where like if Jacobs you know runs into a couple fumble issues or misses a couple things, maybe misses a block. Um, is this the kind of coaching staff that'll be like? Doug Martin's getting 17 carries next game. You know, you're, you're benched or you're working on this. Or you're obviously not cut out for this part yet. 
Um, or is it the one that'll, you know, you know, like like Bill Belichick, if a guy fumbles, that's it. You never see that running back again. Is this a, is this a scenario like that? Or is this something like where they'll just give him a chance to make a few mistakes and, and his owners don't have to worry about it, I guess? I mean, you would hope there'd definitely be some, you know, allowance for growing pains, but definitely uh, there's always a possibility of what he mentioned. I mean, Gruden loves veteran guys. Gruden uh, has always had a, I mean, with the exception of Kelly Williams and a couple other guys, hasn't given rookies too much rope you know, historically. But I think in this case, in this day and age, if you draft a running back in the first round, he's got to be a guy you think is, A, explosive enough and ability, you know, has the ability to come in and, and really be a key member of, of your offense. I think that's the plan going in. So I think there'll be some growing pains. I think they'll give him some rope. But, yeah, Doug Martin definitely is a nice security blanket. And Gruden is probably – I mean, if you ask all the coaches and jammers in the league about Doug Martin, i got to believe John Gruden's probably one of his bigger fans, so he's in the right spot. And I think – and even Jalen Richard has shown some, some skills in the past. So there's guys there who can do it, who can step in and get you maybe you know, four yards of carry. But uh, you would hope with John Gruden and Greg Olson this year there will be some uh, allowance for some mistakes and, and letting Josh kind of grow into this role. Was that Jalen Richard vaccination thing just him – Ramping up for hard knocks, like yeah, tweet where you, is that is that him just like I'm going to be the star here? I'm going to make you know a little better name for myself. I don't think so. Jalen's a pretty straightforward guy, so I think if he if it's out there, he believes it. I don't think he's trying to make himself. I mean, I just think he's a. Uh, yeah, I like Jalen. He's he's a big talker. He likes to get engaged with people. So and that's, I mean, I didn't really get into it, but I don't think it was anything where it's contrived and trying to make you know himself uh, more visible. I think. Um, and when the cameras are around, you know, they're there this week and camp starts tomorrow, he talks so much that the cameras are going to find him regardless. So I don't think he's trying to do anything to get get more attention. Uh, moving on to the to the tight end position, you, you mentioned uh, Darren Waller. And his name's, I mean, there's not a lot of buzz, but like a few smart people like Jake Seeley loves him. And a couple other people are, are big on Darren Waller. Um, I kind of, so my analysis when I'm doing a lot of the, the fantasy stuff in the preseason is, I look at the offensive coordinators and what they used to do, and it was it was always like Greg Olson and Rob Chudzinski really took tight ends and made them a focal point of the of the offense. And I think a lot of that last year with Jared Cook blowing up had to do with the Greg Olson offense. Um, you could trace him back like to almost everywhere he's gone, and the tight ends either first or second in in yardage or targets or, or t- uh, touchdowns. You know, like seventy percent of the time. It, it, that, that, like that's that's why I got excited about Darren Waller, and then just like his storylines incredible. Um, is is this him? Like, there's like Luke Wilson. I thought might be an issue, but you had Derek Carrier and Paul Butler ahead of him on the depth chart. Is this going to be like almost like a bell cow tight end thing where we don't have to worry about these other guys and just be comfortable with Waller and this Greg Olson offense? Yeah, I think I mean Waller's you know blocking is still um, a work in progress. So I think the rookie uh, Moreau is going to get some 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 action in terms of running type plays. But I think Waller will definitely be the leading receiver. Um, my concern fantasy wise would be uh, like last year you mentioned Jared Cook, yeah, career year. But even even Jared Cook, I mean, two things. One, the reason he caught so many passes was because they, they had nobody else. I mean, they they got rid of Cooper. A couple guys went down with injuries. I mean, they had nobody else to receiver by you know halfway point of the season. So I mean, Cook was really your number one target. And two, I think if you look at Cook's game log, I have to imagine he had like probably eight big games, and I would guess eight games that were not really that impressive in terms of fantasy football. So even he wasn't really a sure thing, and he was the only guy they had going. I don't think a tight end. I know you mentioned Olsen's leaning sometimes, but this is a John Gruden offense. And I think Gruden's not a guy who wants to go too much to the tight end. So – they all love Darren Waller. I think there's definitely a high ceiling there, but I wouldn't go nuts. I would think I would look back at last year, and I would think that there's not. I mean, he's not going to be a, you know a top tight end. I think there's a, if you get him late in the draft, and he can make some noise. But I wouldn't go to the bank with Darren Waller as, as your your main guy at tight end. 
Okay, thank you for that. That was <laughs> that just probably stops some people from making a, a big, you know, only one tight end late draft pick mistake. Actually, uh, really quickly, I, I was reading a lot of your stuff before this. Um, I realized, like, I read a lot of stuff anyway, but um, some caught my eye where you listed Keelan Doss as an early super sleeper. Um, any reason for that? I mean, to me, I mean, to make the roster, he's a, he's a big target, and the, the guy that had last year, Marcel Aitman, I mean, to me, Keelan has to beat out Marcel Aitman, and he makes his roster. I think that, I mean, that's not too. Not the whole offense, Marcel Aitman, but that's not really that, that huge a task, I don't think. Marcel's got the size. He blocks out guys in the end zone, but definitely not as polished or uh, other aspects of the game. So I think Keelan Doss is a guy who people thought might get drafted in, on, in the third or fourth round. He had some injury issues, and I think some teams got scared off, but definitely a great value as an undrafted guy. I watched, uh, I forget if it was HBO or Showtime, um, someone did like a you know, behind-the-scenes draft day, and they had uh, they recorded Keelan Doss's phone calls when he didn't get drafted. And John Gruden got on the phone himself and pretty much like, you know what, if you sign with us, you have a great shot at making this team, man. I mean, that's just obviously Gruden always pumps guys up. But I thought it was a, a genuine appeal to him that if you have a, if you, we like you so much that we, with your skill set, he makes plays and he gets open, he's a bigger target, you can make the squad. And I believe it. I think he's a guy that can play teams unlike, you know, Renfro and Grant. So that's also a, a big boost, you know, behind him. But I mean, is this going to be like, I mean, a super sleeper, I guess, in the context of that round table and a super sleeper in, in terms of like fantasy. Um, do you think, I mean, is there a, someone should take a 30th round shot on Keelan Dawson? Well, I mean, to me, super sleeper, like, I mean, like a receiver, especially if you, if you get a guy who's a team's fourth receiver, right, and there's an injury. And then, I mean, to me, you need opportunity to kind of knock on your door a little bit. I'm not saying he's going to come in and earn a role right away, but right, if you're right. if you're in, if you're on the roster and you're on a wide open offense and things happen, you have a shot. But I'm not, I'm not saying draft Keelan Doss. I'm just saying he's a guy. When we do super sleepers, it's more about my picks for guys who are undrafted who are going to make the roster. Right, and from right. that point on, they may carve out a role for themselves. Um, as as we kind of go along into training camps, preseason, and everything, um, do you do you put much I guess faith in uh, in if Derek Carr if he's clicking especially with someone. I mean, I know you said like Josh Jacobs is going to catch a lot of passes. Um, you know, Tyrell Williams is, is a huge question mark. But if you just see something like he's he's clicking with Terrell Williams, like there's there's something there. Do you put much faith in that, or is that just kind of like oh, it's preseason? They're you know, they're designing this so they can get used to each other. Yeah, I don't put much in that stuff. I mean, especially a guy, you know, Derek Carr is a six-year. He's he's very polished. And if he's not looking great, you know, in minicamp or training camp, something's really wrong. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not full contact. He knows the offense pretty well now. And he's got, you know, so I just think it's it's hard to judge too much from from preseason and from training camp. But I, I definitely think in the case of him and Antonio Brown, you know, if to a guy who's a, an elite receiver, if you see that connection, if you see like you get like I'll go back to the Crabtree. Like that was definitely the best relationship that Cars had with receiver the first couple of years of the Crab, where you could definitely tell he was looking for him on, on third downs, looking for him on goal line plays. They kind of knew what each other guy was thinking. So if you get to that point with with Brown or Williams, then I can I'll be able to tell. But that's rare. That that definitely it's only something I only seen once. You know, in the in the ten years I've been doing this. Uh, is there a like? So let me tell you how much I respect you as an NFFC player. I'm not going to ask you for any of your preseason sleepers because I know a bunch of those guys in the high stakes leagues do not want to reveal anything until you know September 10th. Um, but I would. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with as far as the Oakland Raiders uh, that you speaking to a fantasy player that they should know? Or they should. They should just want to hammer in there. Like make sure you get Derek Carr. Or like you know, get ready for Josh Jacobs to have a big year. It's like one thing you want to hammer into their heads. 
No, I think we covered most of it. I think, like you said, I think 23rd is too low for Carr. I think Brown's going to have an incredible year. I think he's going to get the targets. Uh, I maybe mean, it could be a career high in targets. I mean, it could be ridiculous. I think Gruden is definitely going to this thing, uh, going to move him around the field, give him the ball however he can. I think that's probably his, his main focus is getting Antonio Brown the rock this year. I believe the third thing we talked about was, was Jacobs. I think, um, was he going like third or fourth round at this point? I haven't really checked his ADP, but – I mean, I think people are sleeping on Josh Jacobs. I think he, he's he's going to be the guy in terms of this offense that makes it go and, and gets most of the most of the carries. Uh, before we let you go, we, we we do like to do this thing, you know, getting to know blank, and in this case, is you know Vic Tafer. Um, we did a last show with Nikki. We kind of spread it out. I want to try a rapid fire one with you. Um, you know, it seems like you know just just let the people know you got a, you're a person, not just an information feed for fantasy players. <laughs> So, uh, so you ready? I just got ten rapid fire questions. Take as much time as you like with them. But uh, all right, number one, uh, what's the last show that you streamed? The last show that I streamed um, was probably was Sneaky Pete. It wasn't very good. Now, uh, who's your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member of all time? Oh, that's Eddie Murphy. I used to watch him as a kid, and I, used to, I still watch those old uh, those old tapes. Eddie Murphy would would absolutely kill me. What's your favorite breakfast cereal? Favorite breakfast cereal? Wow, that's a good one. I haven't. I'm gone more towards the oatmeal uh, way these days. I'll probably go with uh, the old school uh, Frosted Flakes. All right. Uh, what's the best Bay Area bar? The best Bay Area bar. I guess your favorite Bay Area bar. Whatever you know, it should be the same thing, right? It's uh, a good question. I, I kind of just uh, I frequent them a lot of them. I don't really have a set favorite anymore. You know, I, you know what? To think back, I like the. Um, so there's two of them. There's one here in Oakland, one in, in uh, Dublin. What's it called? Uh, Beer Baron. There you go. Beer Baron in Pleasanton. I like that spot. Uh, do you collect anything? I uh, do not. I collect um, I collect my kids' uh, old toys and put them in storage. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, what was your last Halloween costume? Last Halloween costume. The uh, memorable one, I think, uh, was in college. I went... Um, as one of the members of Crisscross, that was my last one. I did, I did, <laughs> nice. I did, I did big. I believe at one point I went as Powder. Remember that old, uh, the really bad movie where the guy had a pale the bald guy. Cover. Yeah, so it was Powder one year. But uh, since college, I've pretty much have uh, not done that. I haven't really been. I've not been a good sport with my daughter. I haven't done much as far as the uh, the father kid costume stuff. Uh, what's the last book you read? Last book. That's, this is a sad thing. I'm great at reading the first halves of books. Like I'll read a lot of. Uh, for some reason, I, I have a, my mind snaps. I don't finish books. So even if it's a great book, I put it down and never pick it back up. So the last book I can really confidently say I finished was the Artie Lang autobiography, and that was a phenomenal, <laughs> nice. phenomenal read. Uh, what's your favorite arcade game? Favorite arcade game? Uh, I guess I'm an old school guy. I guess Donkey Kong. Uh, what's your drink of choice? My drink of choice. Uh, I like Woodford. That's probably when I'm, when I'm really trying to I like some bourbon. I think that's probably where I'm, I'll go with. But I'll, m- most of the time, I'll just have a beer. I'll have a, uh, a great white beer. And uh, number 10, who's your favorite Star Wars character? My favorite Star Wars character has got to be, uh, I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but I go with uh, Han Solo. I thought he was always pretty cool. All right. Uh, Vic, man, uh, thank you very much, dude. This is uh, thank you for for speaking our language. <laughs> and uh, good luck to all the fantasy guys out there. Hope you have a nice season. Good luck to you too. And right, uh, this season is going to be pretty amazing. Uh, like, I hope this is fun. I hope this is fun and not a disaster. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, even last year went, went off the rails, but Gruden is, to me, one of the funniest guys I've been around. He always cracks me up. Even after a loss, I have to kind of like bite my tongue so I'm not laughing. I just think he's he's so hilarious. So uh, he always makes it interesting. All right, uh, Vic Tafer, make sure you check out the State of the Nation podcast that he does with Jimmy Durkin. Uh, thanks very much. For those of you who are new to the show, we had one with Nikki Javala last week. We're going to have two a week going forward. Make sure you check them out on the podcast page. But uh, Vic, thanks a billion, man. I really appreciate this. I got a sticker.